Welcome to today's message from Transformation Church with Pastor Jim Balzano. Are all you Penn State fans happy? <laughs> you know, every time I've watched some of those, I didn't watch much of it last night. I was in and out of sleep all night from this stupid, I think, I don't know what I got. It's weird. But at any rate, um, it's just, if you've ever been down there, first of all, to when they have one of those whiteouts, it's just incredible to me. It's just insane. I love it. All right? And then when they do that song, that zombie nation, it just plays just rocks. But I'm going to tell you what I always think of, though. I mean, I think it's a black, but I can't wait to see what heaven's like. I'm telling you. It's going to pale in comparison. It's worshiping around the throne and worshiping God. When the Bible says what it's going to be, when you read how it's illustrated in Revelation, I'm going to tell you something. When I get that, I just catch a glimpse I just catch a glimpse because I think it's going to pale in comparison to whenever there is the worship of God from every tribe, language, tongue, nation, all worshiping God. Because what you got down there is you got 107,000 crazy people united around a football team. Well, when the day we're worshiping him around the throne, there's going to be millions upon millions upon millions of people with one thing in common, and that's our salvation in Jesus Christ. And it's greater than any stinking touchdown. It's just going to be, and so sometimes I go to those things and I say to myself, why can't the church get this excited? Just telling you, but, 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 I've decided I'm not going to go that route because what I'm going to say is this is going to pale in comparison to that. This is going to pale in comparison to that. And so, amen. Well, it's been a, been a rough few days. I have had this sickness. I don't know what the heck's going on. It almost reminds me of the food poisoning I had a couple of years ago, and it's just been crazy. I'm, I'm hot. I'm cold. I'm hot. I'm cold. If I fall off the stage, have a good laugh. Take a picture. All right? Put it on, put it on social media. It'll be all right. Okay? Um, but I just was having uh, since Wednesday night. And um, so I really was trying to put some sermons together and do some stuff, and I just was like, Lord, I have no idea what you're going to have me talk about on Sunday morning because nothing was coming together. And even this morning, even this morning, I had reached out to Pastor John at 8 o'clock and said, you got a message from last night? <laughs> he says, yeah. yeah, he says, I'm preaching it in Hollandstown. <laughs> He's at another church today. But as I began to ponder, I, the Lord kept taking me to a particular portion of Scripture. And then Troy sang a song today that I didn't know was on the schedule, and I actually don't look at the schedule much anyhow because I really don't care what that schedule says. <laughs> For the most part. And, um, but I kept thinking about this scripture, and I'm going to take you to it. It's in Isaiah 6. And when Troy began to sing the song about holy is the Lord, and the angels cry holy, and we sing with them, it was like, okay, thank you, Lord. I'm going to go that direction this morning. Because I think there are times in our life, and tell me if you've ever had this, I think there are times in our life where all of us have had moments where it appears or seems as if our world has come crashing down around us. Anybody ever had that moment? You know, maybe you haven't, maybe you, and if you haven't, praise God, I'm glad for you. All right, if you have, you'll understand this morning. Or there's been times in your life where there's been uncertainty, or times in your life where, you, you know, you just, you just, um, it was just a, a moment of this uncertainty. Well, this is what happens in Isaiah 6. In Isaiah 6, it's an interesting thing. That it begins with this. In the year that King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings, and with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew, and one called out to the other and said, Holy, 
Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. I'm going to tell you, that's better than Beaver Stadium on game day. All right. Then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Father, help us with your word this morning. Father, give us some nuggets to take away today, and that we can see you even in the midst of what might be what the darkest circumstances we've seen. In Jesus' name, amen. So that, let me tell you about Uzziah for a couple of moments. The Bible tells us he was 16 years old when he became king. How many 16-year-olds do you know? How many of you want them to be president? Most of D.C. acts like children anyhow. We might as well make one of a king, my president. Right? You, you, don't, you just don't want too many 16-year-olds that I know of in charge of the nation. And yet here was a 16-year-old kid, and he reigned 52 years. He did pretty well, didn't he? Uh, the Bible says he, overall he was a good king. The Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 15 that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. You want to know why he reigned 52 years? Because he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. All right? And he did all according to his father Amaziah had done. Second Chronicles says he sought God in the days of Zechariah. He was, Zechariah was a priest who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, it made him prosper. There's an amazing picture when you look at the, Uzziah's kingdom. Uzziah was a king who was given his commission to be the, the anointed leader of the nation. And yet, he was coupled with the spiritual leader, Zechariah, who had understanding and visions. How many of you think we still need today, even in this day and age, we still need leadership that's a combination between the secular and the spiritual? I'm just telling you. You, you can't, you, you can't, that brings blessing. Uzziah had a lot of military victories over the Philistines and over all the other neighboring nations. He was a very strong king. He was a builder. He was a general. He was a planner. All right. And the Bible says his fame was spread as far as the entrance of Egypt, for he strengthened himself exceedingly. Now, there's an interesting, let me know success oftentimes can breed contempt. Success sometimes can breed arrogance, saying I can do anything. Because his life actually tragically ends because he went into the temple to, to perform the role of the priest, and he was never a priest. But listen to what the Bible says in Second Chronicles 26. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up. The, the lack of humility in his life, the arrogance, the haughtiness that came over him, um, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. All right, and in response to that, God struck him with leprosy, and he was an isolated leper until the point of his death. Let me say this to you. Just because you have success in one realm does not mean that you can step into another realm that God has appointed for somebody else. That's a real leadership principle that we can teach to people, but we won't go there today. And so I want you to see this. So it's in this year that this great and wise, powerful king died, all right? And now, and he died a leper's death. He died a disgraceful death. He died a dishonoring death, if you will, okay? And, he, he, and so now here's Isaiah. Isaiah is discouraged. 
Isaiah is disillusioned a little bit at the death of Uzziah because he had passed away. Now, think about this. I want you to just parallel this for a moment this morning. In your own life, when there have been those things that you have put your confidence in, your strength in, and those things have come crashing down. Whether it might be, maybe it's in the year that your strength failed. Maybe you hit sickness or illness or whatever. In, in, the, in the year that your might died or your financial resources dried up. Anybody ever have financial hardship? In the year that your father, your mother, your son, your daughter passed away. In the year that your joy was stolen. In a year that everything seemed to come against you and all the wheels came off. Anybody ever had some times like that? And so in those moments, there's something that I believe has to happen for us as a people. You see, because we are people of the earth. We live on the earth, right? We live a natural life. We live with what we see around us. And yet, in those moments when all of earth comes crashing down, We've got to have a vision of something that's not of this world. We've got to have a vision of something that is not defined or confined by this world. We've got to have a vision of something that is not suppressed by this world, if you will. So Isaiah, Isaiah, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. In the midst of the loss, he's still on the throne. In the midst of the pain, he's still on the throne. Do you understand this morning what Isaiah is saying? Isaiah is saying, in the year that this great king died, in the year of this uncertainty, in the year where we don't know who's going to be the leader next, in the year that we don't know what's going to happen for our nation next, this one thing I know, God is still on the throne. You see, I've got to ask you a question this morning. Can you say that in your life? That no matter what has happened, no matter what did happen, no matter what will happen, my God is still on his throne. That my world may be shaken, but his throne is not shaken. My world may have been rocked, but he's still on the throne. You, you see, this is incredibly important because if not, then everything else that flows out of us flows from a vision of this world and not that world. How many know my mouth will begin to be shaped by what I see? By what I see. Now I see a king who is higher than my situation. I see the one who's on the throne. So now get this. So Isaiah says, I saw the Lord on the throne. Which tells me several things. Number one, he is over and above my situation and my circumstances. He is over and above my situation, and my circumstances. You know what I love about God? God wants to be in the midst of my circumstances, but he's not confined by my circumstances. I love the fact that I have a father, and I have a king, who wants to be in my life, and in the affairs of my life, and in the circumstances, and the situations of my life, and yet he can be distinct and above those things. All right, think about that. If he's not distinct and above them, this is going to sound terrible, but just deal with it. If he's not distinct and above them, then what good is my faith in him? Think about that. You see, I put my faith in one 
who is greater than me. I put my faith in one who is greater than my situation or my circumstances. All right, so my faith is in the one who is above and beyond my situations. These situations may have brought you low, but he is still above them. They may bring you down, but he's still above. So now, what do you do? You say, okay, I've got to set my sights. I've got to set my vision. And I can choose to set my vision on what I see here, or I can set my vision on what I see there. I can set my vision on what I see around me, or I can set my vision on the one who is above me. And I will promise you this. Your countenance and your disposition and your attitude will change when you set your eyes on the one above you rather than that which is around you. Uh, Let me ask you a question. How many of you ever have a bad attitude because you have looked at somebody else's bad attitude? (laughs) Like, like you just like, how how many of you just like, you Tell me you get on social media and you get on social media and you just want to, you just want to like go through the computer screen and slap that person. Right? They, they just irritate you. Right? And they have, and, and so now, right, like, like, you need to get to a place, literally, I'm serious, where you say, you know what? I'm not going to look at that anymore. I'm not going to look at that anymore. Can I tell you that there are times in our life where I believe that you and I need to fast, but not food? Yeah, we can do that later. But I think we need to fast the news sometimes. Come on. I mean, some of your disposition has been set by Fox or CNN. Hmm? Boy, that'll do you good. (laughs) Right? Some of us need to fast social media. I'm not saying forever. I'm not saying that. I'm saying for a reset. Because how many know what will happen is you'll get off of that, you'll get into the Word, you'll get into the presence of God, and all of a sudden you get a reset in your mind. You get a reset in your spiritual. You get a reset. How many know we need a reset sometimes? But you can't get a reset if you're constantly looking at the same stuff all the time. And so he's above and beyond my circumstances and my situations. You set your eyes on where he is not on what is going around us. The Bible says what? The Bible says in the Hebrews what? To fix our eyes on who? Jesus. Fix our eyes on the one who's the author and finisher of our faith. Right? We fix our eyes. Where do we fix our eyes? We fix our eyes on Jesus. When I mow my grass at home, I generally pick out one tree down there because... And I, and I drive straight at that tree. Why? Because if I don't fix my eyes on that tree, my row is going to be crooked. I don't like the crooked row. Now, trust me, I am not compulsive about my yard. I just want the stuff cut. All right? I'm not a manicurist. I'm not out there with scissors. Okay? But I, what I do know is I like to see a straight row up and down the hill. And the only way I know to do that is I fix my eyes on that tree. And I drive straight at that tree and I don't look at anything else. Because where I fix my eyes will determine my destination. Where you fix your eyes this morning will determine your destination and it will determine your outcome. I'm promising you that this morning. And this morning the Lord says, get your eyes off what's around you and fix them on me. Now, 
He says, he's on a throne. I saw the Lord on the throne. Uzziah's throne might have been empty, but God's wasn't. The earthly throne might have been unoccupied, but the heavenly throne is not unoccupied. I got a good news for you this morning. I got bad news for somebody this morning and good news for me this morning. No matter what happens in 2020, my God will still be on the throne. I'm just telling you. I, I'm just telling you. And some of you are going to lose a lot of sleep over it because somebody that you want to win ain't going to win. Somebody you don't want to win might win. And all you're going to be in angst and anger. Hello. It's just, where's your faith? Where's your confidence? On a throne, which is the seat of honor, the seat of authority. It's the seat of power. It's the seat from which one reigns. It is the seat from which one judges. And so I got to be thinking about this. It's amazing when you look through the scripture of the people who were going in the midst of things were able to see the throne of God. For, for example, the Bible says that Job, Job said he saw the throne. He saw God on the throne in the midst of his affliction, in the midst of his adversity, in the midst of the trial he was going through, in the midst of losing his children and his money and his health and his stuff. What did he say? He had made a statement that I still see the throne of God. Listen to me this morning. You might have all had all hell break loose against you. Put your eyes on the throne of heaven. And then you, you got like David. I mean, David. David went through some tough stuff. David was on the run from his enemies, from Saul and Absalom and the Philistines and everybody that was trying to kill him. In Psalm 9, verse 4, 9, verse 7, verse chapter 11, the Bible says that David said that he saw the throne of God in the midst of his enemies pursuing him. He saw this, which tells me that throne in that point was a place of judgment against David's enemy. Some of you want judgment from God, justice from God. Justice, tell me no, true justice and judgment always flows from the throne of God. It does not flow from the halls of men, it flows from the halls of heaven. You, you see, what, I, what it tells me is that I know even when my enemy and my adversary is coming against me, my God has my back. Jeremiah. Jeremiah was weeping over the destruction of his city. The Babylonians had destroyed it, and he was weeping. And in the midst of that weeping, in the midst of that destruction, in the midst of that, that, that devastating thing, what did he say? He said he saw the throne of God, God on his throne. Even in the midst of destruction, Ezekiel, Ezekiel was a prophet in the midst of captivity. But yet he saw the throne of God. My question this morning, these are all different analogies. Can you see the throne in your mind? Can you see the throne in what's going on? Daniel saw the throne. Here was he. Daniel was a kid taken out of his home, taken to Babylon, put into servitude. And yet, in the midst of that, he saw the throne. The apostle, apostle John He's on the island of Patmos, banished there because of the gospel, exiled there. And we have those great visions of him seeing the throne in chapter 4 and chapter 5. The, you know, you could call Revelation the book of God's throne. You see, there's something about humanity, human flesh, when they're going through earthly trials that can get a vision of the heavenly throne. 
the one who sits on the throne. How many know it's not about the throne, but it's about the one who sits on the throne? Because that, that is when you go. Now listen to me. No, no, I'll come back to that. You see, can you see him? Can you see and do you have an understanding and do you have a fundamental belief that God is indeed on his throne? You see, atheism says what? That there is no throne. There is no God and there is no throne. Humanism says there's a throne, but who sits on it? We do. I'm king of the castle. I'm king of my life. I'm king of my universe. I mean, that doesn't work, work real well. How many of there comes a place we need to bow our knee before the one who's on the throne? The Bible makes it very clear there's a throne in heaven. There's a God who sits on it. And there's no fallen man who sits on this throne but God. And so the earthly throne might be indeed uninhabited, empty, but the heavenly one is occupied. Now watch this. So then Isaiah is getting this vision. You got to understand. You understand what's probably happening in his spirit? Like here he is. His leader is dead. Uzziah is dead. The kingdom is in flux. What's going to happen? And all of a sudden he gets a vision of God. All of a sudden he gets a vision of one greater than Uzziah. Greater than this king. And then he begins to hear that song. That song. It's funny when you look at this. This song is being sung by these seraphim. And they're not singing it to God. They're singing it to each other. Can I just suggest, if I could take that as an illustration, can I suggest there are moments in time where we need to sing that song to each other? That sometimes we need to remind each other and we sing it to each other and we say, hey, whoa, whoa, remember, he's holy. He's holy. I'll give you, we'll get to that what that means in a moment. He's holy that we begin. How many know it's easy for us to sing the song of commisery with each other? Hmm? That old, and I know that for some of you who are young, this will go way over your head and you won't remember this at all, but some of you remember hee-haw. <laughs> it's easy to sing gloom, despair, and agony on me. Any of us who grew up in the hee-haw era, well, we're really dating ourselves now, aren't we? How many remember gloom, despair, and agony on me? That's right. And how many times have you sung it? <laughs> okay. We, we've sang it. And we've sang it to each other. I said, come on, join with me. But sometimes our song needs to be holy, 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 holy. I know that your world was shaken, but he's holy. I know that this went upside down, but he's holy. I know, but he's holy. You see, what does it mean whenever they're saying this, right? They're proclaiming his nature, and they're proclaiming his character, one another, in the presence of him. And what does it mean that he's holy? Holiness at its root, at its root word, has the idea of being apart, set apart. It describes something or someone which is set apart from other things or other stuff, okay? Like, in my house, my grandkids can have just about anything they want except my phone. My phone's not a toy. It's holy. It's set apart from you. <laughs> it's holy. It is set apart from your grubby little paws. <laughs> right? 
And they try to get it all the time. You want to see something funny? I have a small pair of binoculars that are rather expensive. And, and I walked into my garage last night, and I looked on the bench, and I saw the case, and I saw them hanging out. And I'm like, uh, how did those get there? And so I go into the room, into the kitchen, and I look at the three of them. I said, so I got a question. Which one of you had these out? And they're all looking at me. <laughs> you can see what's going through their mind, right? I couldn't tell which one was guilty just yet. But I'm like, hmm. okay, let me clear the air. Nobody's in trouble. So the first thing, oh no, no, the first thing that happened was funny, is that I said, who had these out? And everybody's like, and then Carson points at Owen. <laughs> right. So then I said, listen, nobody will be in trouble. I just want to know how these got out here. Who took them out here? So Liam's on the floor goes. <laughs> he raised his hand. I said, you took them out? Yeah. I looked at her, why are you blaming him? <laughs> okay. I looked at him and said, listen, guys, you can't have these. These are special. They're expensive. Don't touch them again. How many know I just told them they were holy? <laughs> right? You, you see, the idea of holiness is something is set apart. It is set apart from other people and other things. An object in the scripture was called holy. It would be set apart. The things in the temple and the tabernacle were holy. A person is holy when he or she was set apart for God's purpose. Now, but what is it that God is holy from? What is he set apart from? Hmm. So think about that. He's set apart from everything. How many know he is set apart from creation? While God created creation, how many know he's above creation? He is set apart from creation. You see, the Lord is not a creature. The Lord is not a creation. He exists outside of creation. Like, how many know the heavenlies will point to him? And how many know the, the earth will point in the, uh, to the glory of God? But how many know it cannot confine the glory of God? He is apart from this world. He is set apart from this world. Okay? If all of creation were to dissolve, if everything we know as creation would dissolve today, God would still exist. He would still exist. He is set apart from humanity, right? In that his nature and his essence is divine, not human. I like that. His essence is divine, not human. God is not the, God is not the superhuman or the superman. God is God. He is divine, right? He's not merely smarter than man or stronger than man or older than man or better than man. You can't measure God by man at all. Like, how are you going to measure man? Or how are you going to measure God? Take the, take the smartest person you know and try to compare them to God. He's set apart from humanity. Okay? Now think about it. His holiness, he is set apart from everything he is and does. His power is holy. His love is holy. His wisdom is you see, holiness is not an aspect of his personality. It is the part of who he is. It's his characteristic. Now, what does that mean? That means that when my world is crashing around me, my God is set apart from it. My God is above it. My God is higher than it. My God is set apart from it. He is not brought in. Uh, uh, listen to me. Even though he wants to be in it to help me through it, how many know he's not defined by it? He's holy and separate from it. 
when you see him, you begin to, and you, and you, and you get this vision. All of a sudden, it's like, yeah, my world has been turned upside down, but my God is great. My world has been turned upside down. But let me tell you about the goodness of God, the glory of God, the majesty of God, the greatness of God. My situation didn't change a bit, but my God is still the same. My circumstances didn't change a bit, but my God is above them and higher than them. When you see him, nothing here can compare. When you see him, what else are you going to talk about? See, and it's interesting. So Isaiah hears this, this song, and he hears them. And all of a sudden, he's surrounded by the glory of God. I mean, that's a good place to be and a bad place to be. You say, why is it bad? Because here he is. He's in the throne room of God, if you will. And all of a sudden, because he sees the nature of God, he sees the nature of himself. You put Jesus here as a mirror, and I look into that, I'm not so feeling so good about me now. If I put one of you there, I might feel a little better about me. If you use me for a mirror, you might say, yeah, Bill, I thank you, Jesus, for who I am. <laughs> right? You know, because we, the, Bible, the Bible says we are fools who compare ourselves with ourselves. How many of you like, you know we like to measure ourselves against each other? If I can measure myself against you, I might feel better about me. If you can measure yourself about me, you might feel better about you. But when you measure yourself against the nature of God, you come away with, what was me. You come, now here's what, but here's what's interesting. I want you to see what he says. Then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Hmm. Now the focus went from King Uzziah to Isaiah. But let me tell you something I, I think Isaiah might not have just quite got that I want you to see. So here he is in the presence of God. The holiness of God is on display. He sees the nature of God. When he sees the nature of God, he sees his nature. And when he sees his nature compared to the nature of God, he says, woe is me. And while he had an understanding of the nature of God, I'm not sure he had a glimpse of the character of God. Because the character of God was, I'm going to make you clean. I'm going to make you clean. See, see, remember Peter? Peter's on a boat. And Jesus says, throw your net on that side of the boat. Oh, man, we fished all night, blah, 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 blah. Do it anyhow. So he does it. Miraculous catch of fish. Then what happens? Peter looks at him and says, go away from me, Lord. I'm a wretched man. Go away from me. I'm a wretched man. I see who I am now in your glory. I see who I see my nature compared to your nature. I see me compared to you. Go away from me. No, I'm not going away from you because you see your nature in my nature. You see your nature contrasted with my nature, but you don't know my character. My character is I'm going to change your nature. 
Do you get that? This is what's so cool about our God. As God says, you must, listen, he says, don't get caught up. I'm going to change your nature. I'm going to change you. You're no longer going to be a sinner. I'm going to cleanse you. How cool is God? How cool is God? He says, what is he all of a sudden, what? All of a sudden, when he says this, woe is me. I'm undone. One of the seraphim took a coal, put it on his lips, and said, now your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. Who do you think told the seraphim to do that? The one on the throne. The situation in his life caused him to see the one on the throne. The vision of the one on the throne then caused him to see himself for who he was. And yet, now, I believe that he was going to get an even greater revelation of who the one on the throne was. I will tell you this in my life. I have come to a greater revelation of God through tribulation and trial than I have at other times in my life. would rather not do that. Amen? But Isaiah gets a touch from the altar. And the reason he got a touch from the altar is because the command went forth from the throne. This is, in the darkest year of his life, in the life of Israel at that point, Uzziah's dead. But now his eyes were turned where? To God on the throne. To the God on the throne. And he heard the song that your God is set apart from that which surrounds you. Your God is set apart and higher and above your situation. Listen to me, church. Listen to me this morning. I don't know what situation or circumstance you're going through, but your father, your heavenly king, is still on the throne. He's above your situation. He's above your circumstance. He is higher than it. He is not upset, defined by it. He is separate from it. He is apart from it. He is holy. And I will say to you this morning, fix your eyes there. Fix your eyes there. Because if you don't fix your eyes there, it will not determine, you, you, will, not, you will not get to where you need to be I don't want to say this, through this ordeal. Do I make, am I making sense this morning? No, I'm, I'm like. And then Isaiah, and I'm, I'm, I'm about done, I'm going to say those three magic words. I haven't said them in a couple weeks, you know. And then look what happened. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go with us or for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. Isn't it interesting? Now here's a man that started off within the year that Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I saw his glory. I saw his throne. I saw, I heard the song. I saw his majesty. He touched my lips. And now, and now, I want to run with his word. And now, I want to run with his word. And now, I want to run with his word. 
I don't want to run with the word of somebody who's not concerned with my situation or above my situation. But now Isaiah's like, that's me, baby. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. He said, I will go. Send me. Come on, Troy. You say, how do I catch, catch a vision of this throne, Pastor? Well, go eat some pizza and have a dream tonight, and you'll get a vision. I'm just kidding. How, how do I get a vision of this? How do I get a revelation? Well, I think there's a couple of ways. Number one, I think that you've got to enter into a place where it's just you and him. I think you've got to enter into a place in those moments where it's you and him, nobody else, no one else, nothing else, and just you and him. All right? This is Uzziah says, In the year that he died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with a train of his robe filling the temple. And I don't know if this was the actual temple that he walked into that day or not, or if it was the heavenly temple. But I want to say to you that in your own life, there's a time where you need to walk into the presence of God. Number two, I want to say this to you. You want to get a vision of the throne? Listen to me. This is going to really bug somebody. It's not going to bug you, but I'm going to put somebody out there. Pick up the Bible and read it. I, I, listen to me for a moment. You can't get a vision and an understanding of the one whom this word is about. Do you understand that this word, this word will tell you everything about him? Do you understand it gives you a vision? Do you understand that some of us are operating on limited understanding? It's like, it's like some of you, 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 Penny, only Penny knows what it's like to live with me. I didn't think it was quite that funny, Linda. That's Penny's Aunt Linda over there laughing. You know, it's, it, I just want you to know she's got some of your genes in her. I'm just telling you. All right? And, and, and yet, okay. You, you see, you can't experience it because you don't live in it. You can only take her word for it. Some of us are living on revelation from other people. And it's time you get your own revelation of God. It's time you get in the throne room with God. It's time you get in the Word of God on your own. It's time. May I be so bold as to say you mature in your faith. And by maturing in your faith means you stop. Just now, I know what pastors and teachers do. We feed. I love feeding. I love serving a meal. And I love 
when my wife or my daughter cook a meal at the house. But I love going to the snack cabinet on my own. <laughs> and I don't wait for them to tell me to go do it. Listen to me. This is more than a snack cabinet. And I promise you, make your promise today. If you will avail yourself to the presence of God and you will put yourself in his atmosphere and you will put yourself in his presence, he will give you a glimpse of his glory. And I promise you, if you will pick up his word and you will get into his word, I will promise you, he will give you a glimpse of his glory. It'll become more than just words on a page. I promise you, it'll become a revelation. It'll become a rhema word. It'll become, things, become fuel. It'll become food for your spirit. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? So I'm done. About is that, one, is that two closings? Fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. In your hearts, you fill in the blank right now. In the year, blank happened. In the year that blank happened, I saw the Lord. In the year that blank happened, I saw the Lord. And he is holy and set apart from my situation and my circumstance. He is holy. He is holy. He is holy. Father, this morning, lots of room have gone through trials and circumstances and situations and some have, some will. And Father, we thank you today that you sit on a throne high and lifted up. Isaiah saw a train that filled the temple. That, tr that train of your robe was a robe of victory. And when he saw it, and he heard the song, he saw you, he heard the song, and he was touched from the altar. So, Father, with all of heaven, we would say today, you're holy. You're holy. We sing it to each other. We sing it with heaven that you're set apart. You're higher. And then may that fuel our faith. Shape our words. Produce a song and a sound out of us. We give you the praise today. In Jesus' name, amen.